We've talked on this show about how to navigate around difficult bosses and even working for narcissists and jerks. But what do you do when the person who's the abrasive leader is the person you're managing? On this episode, what to do when you're the one who needs to deal with the bad behavior. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 290. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. I'm so glad you're here today with me again, because today a conversation we have not had on the show previously, we have talked about how do you work for difficult managers. Uh, My friend Tom Henschel and I even recorded an episode a while back uh, called How to Handle Your Boss If They're a Jerk (laughs) or something close to that title. I'll put a link in the show notes for all of us. But we have not talked about how do you manage abrasive leaders. If you're in the situation where you are managing someone who is themselves more abrasive, how do you navigate that? It is something that a lot of us have had to deal with in our careers. I know I have, and yet it's not something I've really thought a lot about as far as what is the right way to do that until I was in the midst of handling it. And today, I'm hopeful that our conversation will be really helpful to you if you are potentially in the midst of handling that, or maybe you're in a situation where you get a sense that that could be an issue uh, in the immediate future. And I'm really glad to be welcoming back to the show uh, someone who uh, has been a wonderful thinker in this space, and that is Sharon Bar-David. Sharon was first on the show uh, about a year or two ago talking about workplace incivility, and I received so many wonderful notes Uh, about that appearance on the show uh, from our listening community. Sharon also had many people reach out to her directly. She is the author of Trust Your Canary, Every Leader's Guide to Taming Workplace Incivility, and she's the president at Bar David Consulting, a company offering solutions for creating respectful workplace and rehabilitating abrasive leaders. And in fact, that's exactly what Sharon's here to speak with us about today, because Sharon really has an expertise in working with abrasive leaders. Sharon, I'm glad that's your job and not mine. (laughs) (laughs) welcome back i'm glad to have you back so thrilled to be here dave thanks for thanks for inviting me again well speaking of uh you know i'm glad it's not my job you and i have talked before about uh, your work and for you i know you really love this work you love working with clients who are dealing with this because um it's it's really it's really what you're designed to do it's really your passion isn't it it really, really is, and sometimes people are surprised because the clients that I work with are often classified as, as you said earlier from your conversation with Tom Henschel, are classified as jerks, bullies, uh, anything, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But for me, when I work with them and access from the inside, it's just amazing to see what's possible because very often these folks who are causing a lot of distress in the workplace, have no sense of what they're doing wrong. And once they get it, and they tend to be really smart, otherwise they wouldn't have been keeping their jobs for as long as they did. Once they get it, the change, the transformation sometimes can be so magnificent. And I love that I can be 
part of that and put that mirror and help with that. So, yes, I, I sometimes refer to it as sacred work, even, dare I say, because it, it really makes such a change for the person and everyone that they are causing distress to. Well, I am so glad that's so true for you. And I know that you'll help us, uh, for those of us who've run into this and maybe are dealing with this now, of dealing with some of these abrasive situations. And you know, we when you were back on the show last time, we talked about workplace incivility. And there's a relationship here, of course. But you know, one of the things you've written is that abrasive leadership is tolerated, even rewarded almost everywhere. I was wondering if you could tell us more about that. Well, if... Let, let's look at a very commonsensical approach. If, it's not, if it were not tolerated, then we would not have abrasive leaders. People sometimes say, why does a bully bully? Because they can. So abrasive leaders don't typically start abrasive. They may have a bit of a tendency in the beginning, but it develops over time. It blossoms, for lack of a better word, over time, these behaviors that are undesirable because they have employers who either are turning a blind eye or even rewarding their behaviors. The only, the single most important reason that these behaviors persist is because no one says to this person, hey, you can't do it. You can't behave this way. And certainly no one says it early enough. One of the things that you've seen a lot is some really common mistakes and even some myths that a lot of us have when we're thinking about leading someone or managing around someone who's embracive. And you know, you warn leaders that they're often buying into some of these myths. What are some of the myths and what are some of the common mistakes that we're making? Well, one big myth is that we can't do without this person. We really need this person. And either because they are the ones who are bringing in the business or they are the ones who are writing our bids and they do that best, or because they're the lead lawyer in the firm or they're the physician in our region who can do that kind of surgery, whatever the profession, whatever the case is, it's often one of the myths is we can't do without them. And in doing so, we often think, well, Another myth is the people who are around this person should develop thicker skins. It's the, there's interesting a few phrases. They should develop a thicker skins. If you can't stand the heat, don't go into the kitchen. These kinds of ideas are the kinds of uh, uh, thoughts that people who the abrasive leader reports to or, or the higher organizational echelons that feel that, well, maybe the people shouldn't be sensitive. Nowadays, we're getting, everybody's getting so hung up on respect and so on. And you know what? In the old days, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the old days are gone, and you can't really keep asking people to get thicker skins. More and more uh, jurisdictions are saying to employers, you have to provide a psychologically safe workplace for employees. And when you as an employer allow someone to be abrasive like that, you're actually exposing the organization to the kind of risk of you enable, you allow these kinds of behaviors. And the other myth, and that's the one that I love shattering in my work, is that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That is, this person's interpersonal style, the way that they conduct themselves, is such, it's that it's 
so ingrained that, what, they can't really change. And that is entirely untrue as long as they get the right help. But the help has to be the right help. Mm. So... So we can do better than one than both of those myths. And you've shown it again and again in your work, and I've certainly seen examples of it too. And I want to come back to to one of the things you just mentioned a minute ago, this person can't be replaced. Because I've heard that argument as well too. And particularly where the person's in a role where they're in a sales role or uh, they're, they're a key contributor to the revenue of the organization. So organizations, of course, need to be looking at the bottom line, and they tend to. And this is where you get that myth come up. One of the things I know that you have coached organizations on and leaders is that when you're looking at that, um, you're not often looking at the real costs of that person not changing that behavior. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by the real cost? Well, you just said, you know, organizations are looking at the bottom line. The bottom line is very linear and they're looking at, well, is he bringing in all these sales numbers? Is he bringing, is he doing um, bids in such a way that we are able to get the work and that brings the company this much revenue. Is he the one who enables our organization to have this kind of expertise? Whatever it is that they're doing. Those are not all the costs. That's just one way of measuring costs. But there are many costs, and and, uh, I'm sure, David, that your experience bears this, that if you just broadened the like moved from if you were thinking of a of a theater where there's play where there's an actor on the on the stage and there's that single light that is and the rest are the that chose the actor and the rest of the stage is dark looking just at the cost the bottom line type of cost is similar to that i'm suggesting that if you take a floodlight and and throw light on the whole stage and suddenly you see that there's another 20 actors and there's a whole set there, that's what you should really adopt as as an approach when you're trying to see what it's really cost you. So as an example, if you have someone who because of their behavior, people are falling sick, calling in sick or going on sick leave, what's that costing you? If they're going through assistance like other people go through socks, five, six assistants in a year, what is that costing you in hiring, in firing, in HR time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? If you're having people not being willing to risk new, innovative, creative idea because they think they'll be shot down, what is that costing you if your business relies on on innovation? Your uh, your comments are making me think about something I hear occasionally from people when they're thinking about their contribution to the organization, or maybe making a career career transition, or or not, and thinking, you know, I'm really valuable to this organization, and I'm not replaceable. And uh, one of the first things I often coach people on is everyone's replaceable. <laughs> so maybe you're a little more difficult to replace than other people, but everyone is replaceable. And yet, a lot of organizations. To what you were saying, Sharon, I, I find don't think that way a lot of times when a situation like this comes up is they don't think first like, okay, this person is replaceable or like you point out, coachable too. You know, we can't, we don't just have to have the entire organization focused around accepting this person's poor behavior. And uh, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about too is one of the mistakes I know that you see commonly from leaders is turning a blind eye and even rewarding 
some of the bad behavior. And I know you see that happen a lot. What is it that it's causing that? What do, what do you see that we're doing as leaders that's maybe rewarding the, the behavior or, or turning a blind eye to it? Rewarding the behavior is happening every day around us where you had someone who's a supervisor and didn't always behave so nicely, a little bit rough at the edges sometimes, and really good at what they do. So whatever it is that they do, they're really good at it. So you promoted them from supervisor to manager and then to account manager, you know, and all those things. Every time you promote someone, now they become naturally, who wouldn't, more of what they were before. With power, with authority comes self-permission. And not having held to account before the promotion itself, or be it a fat bonus, or, or even be it a great job, or we loved how you got that client, or you really nailed it. Every time that person's own manager does that, the message is you're doing good. Keep going the way that you're going. And the way that they're going becomes more and more abrasive. And often they don't realize, uh, abrasive leaders often don't realize that they're even engaging in certain behaviors. Or they realize that they're engaging in the behaviors, but not realizing the impact that they're having. Or they're realizing the impact that they're having, but they're thinking, well, those people are stupid or lazy, very common. They're stupid or they're lazy. So it's good if she's crying because she needs to understand that laziness and stupidity have no place here. And after all, I'm the one who's being rewarded for the behavior. So that person must be in the wrong anyway, right? And I'm irreplaceable, going back to your point a minute ago, and I'm irreplaceable anywhere. Who else has my magic touch? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, seen it, I've seen it a number of times myself. And so what does turning the blind eye look like? And I'm sure that I've done this before <laughs> in situations. Uh, how does that tend to play out? You know, the turning the blind eye is one of the most curious, fascinating things that one can observe with regards to all the dynamics surrounding abrasive leadership. A person or persons who an abrasive manager reports to turn a blind eye for a number of reasons. Sometimes they know that if they will try to deal with it, it's going to create so much problems, it's going to be such a headache, it's going to be so difficult, the person might leave. And so it's easier see no evil <laughs> just mm. just to because i'm I'm this person is uh, busy with real things, right? So who has the time, who has their energy? Sometimes we turn a blind eye because we like the person or because we feel that uh, they make us look good. So I, I remember a case when a, a VP of uh, vice president of uh, human resources in a large company was talking to me about someone at a at a director level who was terrible, the the VP of Human Resources was hearing complaints upon complaints. And she went to the VP who was overseeing that abrasive director. And that person said, I don't know of any problems. And HR said, and these are two cohorts, two VPs, HR said, but here's what I'm seeing. Here's, and people are coming to my office and no, I don't see any problem. And so HR even 
powerful HR, as, as in this organization, often can't do a thing because the person managing them is is wanting to turn a blind eye. That other director was such a high performer and so liked by the VP overseeing him that there was no chance that the blind eye would open. As well, let's, the human tendency is if someone is a high performer, they're making their own boss look good. Their own boss is meeting targets. Their own boss is able to sit on some laurels that this person is bringing in. So it would be kind of natural to turn a bit of a blind eye. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I know one of the challenges, um, and in defense of leaders who have turned a blind eye, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm just it's human. It's so human. Maybe I'm just defending myself, Sharon. Maybe. But uh, you know, one of the things I think of, and, and and this actually gets to some of the things I know you see as well, too, is sometimes when we do try to intervene and genuinely try to do something that will help the situation, either do a 360 or bring in a coach or give hints to the problem. Those tend to, sometimes that works, but there's a lot of times where that does not work either. And and I think that in some cases, at least I know of, where leaders I've worked with, they've said, you know, I've tried some of those things and they didn't work. And so I just ended up with all this frustration and we've got the same issue. So why bother? I'm curious how you how you work with organizations when you find that people have, have come to that place. Those things don't work because they assume that a, the person will understand what they're doing wrong, and B, are motivated to change because they want to be on this nice growth growth uh, curve, if you want. Both those assumptions are, are not true. Working with these folks day in and day out from the inside, I can tell you that for the most part, they don't know what they're doing wrong. So they're walked into somebody's office and they say, you've got to, you know, there's a, people are saying that you're a bully, you're, the, you're, you're very harsh, you need to change. And there's a, some, an assumption that they know what and how to change. It is so far from reality, Dave. I work sometimes with my clients on such basic things as what do you do when you walk into a room with people who report to you or with colleagues from other departments How do you walk into the room? How do you say hello? What expression should you have on your face? How should you write your emails? How to engage in small talk? I mean, sometimes it's such things. When you are thinking that someone is not doing what they need to be doing and they're lagging behind, how do you give them that feedback? Literally, what words do you use? Such basic, basic things that once they get them, and again, it doesn't take much to get it, the change is is amazing. But first, I collect data on what the behaviors are. What are the negative perceptions about them? So the assumption also in, in 360s and in regular coaching is that the manager will go to the coach and tell them about their issues, or the coach will even do some interviewing and learn about their strengths and weaknesses, and somehow they will grow. That that's, may or may not happen. In most cases, it won't happen. In the way that, that I do things, and I, and I owe a lot of what I do to Dr. Laura Croshaw's pioneering work in, in this area uh, with abrasive leaders, is basically the, the, the premise of the work is 
there's negative perceptions out there about you. How can I help you make those negative perceptions go away? So the motivation is not to be a better person. It's actually to make those negative perceptions that are now hindering the person's career go away. So it's all very different from the get-go. So when I'm working with a person, we know exactly what the pro- what the behaviors are, and then we can work on developing alternate behaviors. I love what you've said there, and I've run into the situation before where, almost like you described, where someone was, you know, a coach was brought in, or a 360 was brought in, or someone was sent to a training class, and the hope was they would get the message that they were not a good communicator or abrasive or whatever the whatever the term was that that organization used. And to your point, more often than not, I've seen that that does not work uh, to the point where I have absolutely turned down coaching engagements with people because the organization wasn't willing to be a partner in working together to give that person feedback. They just expected that the coach or the tools would do that. And really, I found that the in the situations where this works really well is the person who's that person's manager really needs to be involved and being willing to have some of those tougher conversations and being willing to address some of the things you're talking about. Um, Have you found that to be true in your work as well? I can just off the top of my head think of quite a number of situations where the organization contacted me. They've identified that there's a real serious problem. And they want me to come in, and I explain that for my work to be successful, they need to be very clear with my client that they have to change or else. My experience corresponds with yours, Dave, in that a number of situations I could not agree to take on the client because the organization was not willing to overcome the fear, their own fear and their own anxiety, and say to the person, something's got to, you've got to change or else. Mm. And that's what you're talking about right a minute ago, what you were talking about is that that's their part in the partnership that, that they need to do. It's the single most important part in my line of work with abrasive leaders, the single most important part where they need to step up to the plate. And if they won't, then I'm not the right person. And my guess is also that eventually things will just explode and they'll have no choice but to do something drastic. But I don't know because I, I've, I walk away from those situations. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and this probably begs the obvious question because, I, of course, uh, I know we have people listening who are thinking, okay, <laughs> I'm the person I know who needs to step up to the plate and, and to potentially have that tough conversation. Um, where to start? If you're that person right now, where, what is the first step they should take, Sharon, in beginning to engage in that way? One thing is I, I highly recommend that they just sit quietly and really ponder what is happening. What is this costing us? And is this in line with our organizational values and what we believe that we are about altogether? And in some instances, the incongruence, the glaring incongruence between what we aspire to in an organizational uh, environment and what the person is behaving like is such that you really realize you have to take action. So the first thing is really look at, at the costs and and let go of the idea that the person is not replaceable. As you have said before, everybody is replaceable. 
Well, your and to your point earlier, Sharon, is uh, a lot of us and the folks who listen to the show, I mean, we are at least reasonably good in a lot of these skill sets as far as how to interact with others and the things that many of us take for granted. And yet someone who's really struggling with this and is an abrasive person themselves may not, for whatever reason, have ever gotten the tools or the experience of how to really interact more effectively and pleasantly with people. And so um, it really does require us to approach it from a different mindset uh, than, than we may be used to approaching it from, because sometimes we are getting very back to some of the basic fundamental things as far as workplace behavior that a lot of us take for granted. A hundred percent. And for many of the listeners, I, I think if there's one huge thing to get out of this podcast potentially is look around and if there's someone that reports to you or maybe reports to a colleague and you can help your colleague who is showing even beginning signs of these kinds of behaviors, then catch that bull by the horn now. Do that person, yourself, and everyone around a big favor. So what are the behaviors? Yes, sometimes it's yelling, shouting, profanities, but sometimes the behaviors are are different. They're not as over the top like that. Sometimes it's sarcasm and cynicism that are pointed at certain people or, or enough people in the group such that day in and day out, they add up to, to a lot of distress. So I want to ask you about some of that too, because there are, of course, the very extreme behaviors that we have, and we've been talking about some of them, but there's also the, you know, someone's beginning becoming a little bit abrasive. And to what you mentioned earlier, this isn't something that generally happens overnight. It's something that you know gets sometimes gets rewarded or turned a blind eye to over time. Let's say you are at the beginning stages. Maybe it's not the time to call in a coach or to take a take a serious. You know, you need to do this or you're gone. But it is time to address it. What would be the way to have that kind of step in in some of those first situations? Because I know it's something you coach people out on too. I would propose um, the kind of thing that I also write about in my book, a three-phase three feedback, the SBD feedback. So you, I'm going to offer the structure in a second. It's very, very simple, and you can embellish it as is needed. But essentially, call them in and and have that serious face. This should be really done in such a way, the punctuation of it, the opportunity, the time, the facial expressions should all send a message, I mean business. This is serious. And step one would be for the S, state the expectation. So what is the expectation in our organization or on our unit or on our division? What are the values we are aspiring to? What kind of behaviors specifically are we expecting to see? That would be the S of the SBD and then step Two would be the B, the behavior. What are the behaviors that are of concern? And this is where feedback to this kind of person would be very different from feedback you might give other people. Here you need to say, in meetings you have, uh, you have been seen to cut people off in the middle of a sentence. We've also noted that you say to people, get to the point already. Also notice the use of profanities. They're very, very specific. Spelling it out as if it was for a grade one. And I don't mean that as if for a child, but as if someone just learning certain things for the first time. 
because they may not know, right? They do not know. <laughs> it's not that they may not know. Honestly, it's like they do not know. Mm. Then I would also um, include there when these behaviors happen, here is the impact that they're having. When someone feels that you're sarcastic towards them, they shut down. When they shut down, they're not going to ask clarifying questions. When they're not going to ask clarifying questions, they're going to make even more mistakes. And then the D in the SBD is, what is the desired behavior? So to outline again very specifically. And then following that, to do what pretty much many organizations of abrasive leaders fail to do is they now... I'm going to be following up on this. I'm going to watch and I'm going to ask people how it's going. And we're going to meet again in two weeks and then in again two weeks and et cetera, the follow-up piece. The, the tete-a-tete that often happens and not followed by meaningful action and follow-up because people get busy and people want to turn the blind eye. And it's easier to say, well, I did it. Okay, I addressed it. But when nothing happens, that's when the problem becomes bigger. So... It's the concrete feedback. And if you want to invest in them, then again, get them a specific coach. But beware also of the 360s and the regular kind of coaching that might be great for other situations, but won't work for this kind of person and these kind of behavior issues. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned the 360. I have absolutely seen it happen where an organization has relied on a 360 to return very unfavorable results in order to prove to the person that they are having poor behavior. And in fact, the 360 comes back and it's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. And it doesn't make the case at all. And sometimes people are afraid of what to write on a 360 who are rating that person. And so it's really just, I mean, to go to what you were saying earlier, um, it, it really does come down to the person who's managing that person of really having a, a very direct and very tough yet caring conversation about what needs to change. And, and if they're not willing to do that, any every tool in the world is not going to support them of sidestepping that. Yeah. And it's in these conversations, because it might take more, it probably will take more than one conversation, need to really be no nonsense. There needs to be uh, a lot of clarity that here's how we do business here in this organization and the behaviors have to align with that. And if they don't, this might not be the good fit for you. It, it, maybe you're not saying it in those words, but that needs to be somehow communicated. And again, I, to communicate that without giving the specifics is unfair. That's, I, I often feel that my clients have gotten to the place that they've gotten to because they were dealt with unfairly. No one did them the favor. No one gave them the courtesy of giving them the kind of feedback that they should have gotten, that they could have used. They were let into this wilderness where they're allowed to behave sometimes like, like completely out of control. I'm thinking about one situation where because of the structure of the building, my client was, was on one floor managing quite a few people on that floor. The persons in higher management were on another floor and literally didn't know anything until there was a mutiny. They didn't turn a blind eye. They really had no way of collecting data from uh, the troops, as it were. So they, they really didn't know. And my 
client was devastated because my client had no sense that there was any problem with themselves at all. Uh-huh. At all. And, and I will say, one of the, you know, I spoke before about why I love this work, because at the end of this work, this client said and wrote this in a card that I received, I think that day of the mutiny was probably one of the most important and best days of my life. Ah, interesting. So this actually relates to something I'm really curious about, uh, Sharon, from your experience, because you are in the very unique position of having been someone who's worked with a lot of abrasive leaders and in the defense of the abrasive leader for a moment, because we've been looking at it from the, you know, the person who's managing them perspective. I am really curious when you talk to people, especially folks who make the shift and are successful at being able to uh, interact better in the organization, what do they tell you that they wish that their organization would have said to them. Uh, you said this a minute ago of, you know, you know, you wish someone would have given feedback, but what are the kinds of things you hear? Because I think that that might be the motivation some of us need to actually move forward and do some of these things. Generally speaking, a lot of it would be, I wish someone told me much earlier on, because the kind of person that I've been perceived as is not who I am inside. And that's very common when they see the feedback that I bring back, and it's, it's, it's a devastating to hear that feedback. Uh, it's all verbatim, pretty much. And they hear that feedback, it's in front of them in writing, and they don't recognize themselves. It's not who they think of themselves as being. That is a very, very difficult two hours. <laughs> I was going to say a difficult moment, but it, it uh, because how they think of themselves and how the environment perceives them, there's a sea between those two. And they often feel, and honestly, I am with them, I concur that a, along their career, and certainly whoever their current employer is, why did no one help them out and prevent them from showing up in the world as this terrible person? That's a good reminder for all of us, Sharon, to have the courage to be willing to, you know, to lean into some of the discomfort that we are going to face handling these situations. But if we do that and we're willing to do that, um, we can do a lot for our organization. We can do a lot for these individuals. And, you know, what you just said really underscores the point I've I've always believed over the years and, and many of the people I've worked with is no one shows up for work wanting to do a bad job or to cause chaos or to be abrasive. That may be the net result, but most people don't have that intention. And so if we are able to handle this well appropriately, to give the feedback, to use the models we've talked about here today, we're going to be a lot more successful at helping people to recognize those behaviors and hopefully make the organization a better place. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I do want to say one one thing about 360s before we let go and, and, and say that they're useless in, in terms of abrasive leaders. 360s can sometimes, if they're done regularly, they can identify that there's an issue. You know, if you're sitting on the top floor, as I described before with, this, with that one situation, uh, if you're sitting on another floor and you don't have contact uh, with the person's employees, then how would you know if there's a problem? Or forget about if you're in another floor, what if you're in another city? And this is a satellite office. You know, you're in, you're in uh, California and the office is in Chicago. How would you know? So those methods, be it 360s or other methods of collecting data from the people, as it were, 
have a lot of value in that way. They just don't necessarily have value in helping a, an abrasive leader change, but they are some form of seismograph, some measurement that's certainly better than not having anything that can potentially harvest that, hey, something here isn't right. What's not right? And then you can go and explore further. I'm so glad you mentioned that and, and clarified that, Sharon. I, I certainly didn't mean to uh, imply if I did that 360s aren't helpful or beneficial. They absolutely are. No, I, I do the same. No, I, I know you didn't mean that, and I didn't either. But just in this context, both, yeah. not, both of us talked about they're not really useful. And, I, and, and they are useful in that one way as picking up potentially that there's, hey, Houston, there's a problem. Yeah, but oh it exactly. Doesn't necessarily give all of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the place I've seen it really run into trouble is when the organization or the leader attempts to use the 360 as a substitute for having the tough conversation. <laughs> and exactly. that's where it really becomes an yeah. issue. Yeah, and yeah. outsourcing it to a coach to take care of it. Yep, yep. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. you and I have both been people who organizations have tried to outsource those conversations to. And like I said earlier on, I've I've learned to step away from those conversations because it's it's just it's not a situation that not only for the coach but for the employee they're not going to be successful mm-hmm. if the organization mm-hmm. hasn't had that tough conversation. You know, I was just going to say just we're talking here about coaching abrasive leaders but our company does Bar David Consulting does a lot of training on workplace incivility as you know and and uh, we will get the the calls occasionally where we someone calls and says there's a lot of incivility I'm the manager I'm there's a lot of instability, there's this uh, behaviors going on and those behaviors are a lot of concern. We want you to come and do training. And when I explore further, it turns out that all they want is the training. And those, again, are situations where I need to say, that's management's job. We can help. You can use the training to then do other things, but if all they'll do is train, all will be is training, then we're not the right people for you. That that could actually make you look like you're outsourcing your work to someone else. That's management's job. So I, I think that's it's nice to use experts. It's nice to use consultants. But at the end of the day, it's the manager who has to make sure that no one becomes abrasive and has to make sure that civility reigns and not incivility. Sharon, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, it's like that old saying, uh, the greatest uh, enemy of communication is the illusion of it. And sometimes we think we've (laughs) sent someone to a coach. Yeah, we've sent someone to a coach or we sent them in a training class and we've solved the problem, but uh, we haven't haven't really solved the problem. And so Sharon, there's so many things that are on your website. We've been talking about some of the principles from one of your articles, uh, Abrasive Leaders, Five Mistakes You've Made When Managing Them. We're going to link up to that in the show notes. I'll also put in the Weekly Leadership Guide. Uh, There's also a great article you've written on it. Is your email writing style putting you at risk? Sharon, thank you so much for your kindness and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you also for doing this work in the world. I know it's it's scary work for a lot of us, and uh, you've done some great things for organizations. So I so appreciate you uh, sharing your wisdom with us. And I so appreciate for the, the opportunity to have this, as usual, very thoughtful conversation. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for your wonderful questions and insights. And uh, good luck to everyone. And, and I hope all the listeners remember not to be perceived in any way as abrasive themselves. <laughs> Sharon Bar-David is the author of Trust Your Canary, Every Leader's Guide to Taming Workplace Incivility. Thanks so much again, Sharon.
Thank you, Sharon. And as we mentioned in the conversation, a number of links to resources on Sharon's website that'll be helpful to you that'll be in this week's weekly leadership guide also on the show notes. And if you're not already getting the weekly leadership guide, you're missing out. Uh, Definitely get access to that by going to coachingforleaders.com, activating your free membership that gives you access to the weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday with the show notes in your inbox, uh, but also has uh, access to a whole bunch more. The member cast, my own personal library, all of the podcast episodes from the last six years tagged by topic that'll be helpful to you. And then when you join the free membership for the first time, you'll also get access to my 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It's less than 10 minutes a day, and it'll give you the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. So you can join and get access to all of that and a bunch more at coachingforleaders.com right on the main page there. And a few related episodes to today's conversation. Uh, We mentioned in this conversation earlier, my chat with Tom Henschel a while back on episode 164, how to handle a boss who's a jerk. We talked about the opposite situation today. If you're dealing uh, with that situation, definitely check out episode 164 tons of things that you can do practically that'll help that situation. Also, what not to do and what not to try. So uh, check that out. That'd be helpful to you. Also, uh, Sharon's last appearance on the show was on episode 210, How to Tame Workplace Incivility. And we talked about incivility more broadly in the workplace. It was one of the more commented on episodes uh, at the time we aired it. A bunch of people have reached out to me over the last year or so uh, since listening to that episode who have really been helped by that conversation as well. So again, that's episode number 210. So check that out if that's of interest to you, and particularly if you found uh, Sharon's uh, strategies and tactics helpful. I know that it'll be something that'll be valuable to you too. And next week, I welcome back the amazing Bonnie Stahoviak. <laughs> she will be back for our monthly Q&A show. If you'd like to have your question considered, for next week or the first uh, question answer show, the first Monday of every month, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That's the best way to get that question for us. We'd love to consider your question. And thank you so much this week to Chris and Lisa here in the States and Monique in Australia for the very kind reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much. If you've been listening to the show for a bit and it's been helpful to you, I'd be so grateful if you take a moment to go over to iTunes, leave a review. You can get there by going to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you next Monday. Take care.